0: What makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.
1: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm
0: Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. You might know us as the co-founders of Of A Kind, the co-authors of Workwife, or just two women who feel so strongly about the relationship that they own their domain, ClaireAndErika.com. Related, head there and sign up for our newsletter, find episode notes, all that jazz.
1: And leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463. And also check out our brand
0: new Instagram
1: at A Thing or Two HQ.
0: So we decided to skip airing an episode last week because, quite frankly, the programming we had planned just did not feel right to release. Um, exactly. So we took a week off and here we are. And we have been talking on other platforms about our feelings about everything that is going on in the world right now in that white supremacy exists and needs to be uh, torn to shreds. Yep. Um, that Black people are being killed by police. Um, way too often,
1: which is to say ever. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think the national conversation right now is rightly centered around racism, specifically racism against Black people with a focus on the way our system of policing upholds racism and murders Black people. And...
0: But I think the conversation is also rightfully growing um, a, a lot, moving a lot beyond that at this yes. point, too, yes. and is expanded to talk about the ways that systemic racism infiltrates every single piece of culture and how we are have all been complicit in that, um, or we, you and I, as white yeah. people, have been complicit in that. Right. There have
1: been, you know, the the conversation is, like you said, it's progressed to be about like, how is media upholding this? How are very you know, how's the music industry upholding this? how How are we as individuals um upholding this, whether we're conscious of it or not? And we sort of thinking about this in two ways. One, so much of what we do is about promoting businesses, projects, and people that we love. And it is on us to make sure that that is, Representative of Black people and the projects and businesses that they are working on. And we are very committed to that. But also, you know, a lot of what we do is also just talk about quotidian nonsense. And that also this might com- be what we do best, honestly. And we've been thinking a lot about, you know, how does the national conversation that's happening right now apply to that? And it does still apply to that, even when we're talking about nonsense we need to be thinking about it through an anti-racist lens. You and I both listened to an episode of the podcast Who Weekly that is not even just a celebrity gossip podcast, but a celebrity gossip podcast about like D-list celebrities. Um, As they would <laughs> say,
0: garbage, just yes. garbage. <laughs> yeah.
1: And they did a really thoughtful episode where they talked about their responsibility to be anti-racist and to be representative of... um black D-list celebrities and what that means and the impact it has and where they've messed up in the past. And I think it was really really thought-provoking for us. And I think a really interesting and nuanced way to explore and emphasize the fact that we all have a role in this no matter who we are and what we do.
0: Yeah. No, they talked a lot about decolonizing their reality TV consumption. And Mm -hmm. I think it has made me think more about decolonizing the parts of my life that I haven't been as proactive about um, or that I just haven't considered, that I haven't given much consideration to.
1: And I think that's been an interesting part of this is that I think any sort of thinking white person, I will say, has had a moment of reckoning where they've probably looked back on past actions and you know, grimaced or winced, or or past actions that they failed to take and, say, and started yeah, and to be realize, like, "Fuck me! Like, why <laughs> did I do that? Or why didn't I do that? Or whatever it was." And and that's been, it, in some ways, maybe the first phase of all of this. And then the second. And then I think now there is this really interesting conversation about. How are we like actively rectifying that just, you know, in in terms of the things we're consuming and sharing and not just, you know, the way we're behaving in the workplace or in our communities and things like that. Yeah. Where we're getting our information. Exactly. So we, uh, I don't even want to say obviously, We, we strongly condemn racism and the police brutality. We are in full support of the protests that have been happening around the country. We,
0: and all the forms that they have to take.
1: Yes, exactly. We you know, are as devastated as the rest of the country watching, you know, the ways in which our Black communities have suffered and continue to suffer. One of the things that we wanted to talk about because it feels specific to us is thinking about shopping and how that relates to
0: this topic. Yes. And I think, you know, something for more context, this is something we've been thinking about a lot in general as lockdowns hit and quarantines hit um, and just sort of reconsidering the way that we all think about shopping and consumption um, and how the two of us are approaching that through a new lens or two new lenses. Yeah.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Biblio Lifestyle. Biblio Lifestyle is a newsletter for people who can't live a life without books in it, Which definitely describes us. That's it's, us. It's the intersection <laughs> of our two, two loves, books and newsletters. Oh so, my God, they get us. We're obviously in. Every Friday, they send readers a newsletter filled with book recommendations, book lists, inspirational content, original author features, tons of book giveaways and lots of other goodness.
0: Biblio Lifestyle believes in the power to change the world through the power of books and story. Subscribe to Biblio Lifestyle today and you'll receive their 2020 Summer Reading Guide immediately. So head to bibliolifestyle.com slash 2020SRG. That's B-I-B-L-I-O lifestyle.com slash 2020SRG. And while you're there, check out their book list, author features, and so much more. Today's episode is also brought to you by Lolly Lolly Ceramics. And tell you what, if you tuned in for our mug episode, you're going to be real into Lolly Lolly Ceramics. Um, the designer behind the line, Lili Stamps, made a hundred mugs for this hundred day project she was doing, and they are all so impressive. You need to check them all out. All of her pieces are handmade in Columbus, Ohio, and they are for everyone. They're versatile, timeless. They adapt to any space, and they make an easy and unique gift. Lolly Lolly
1: Ceramics started in 2017 when Lalise was an undergraduate and wanted to raise money to study abroad in London. She sold so many pieces that she kept up selling things at various fleas and markets local to Ohio. Lolly Lolly Ceramics webshop is now temporarily closed because there's been such high demand, but listeners can subscribe to the newsletter at slash shop. So that's L O L L Y dash L-O-L-L-Y dot shop. I'm going to say that again. L O L L Y dash L O L L Y dot com slash shop.
0: Hey everybody, Gabby Reese here. Please join me for my show where we're going to be talking about all things self-care. And I don't mean just eating and exercise. I'm talking stress, marriage, relationships, parenting, business, transitions. How do we figure out a way to be our best selves each and every day? So whether you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen, please join me. If you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. If you want to see some of the -the behind-the-scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. Remember don't miss new episodes every Monday okay so the conversation we really wanted to get into is how we think about the businesses where we spend our money mm-hmm. um, and we've spent some time on this podcast talking about shopping habits and consumption and where where we are buying and where we are not buying and what we are buying and what we are not buying but I think we thought that it was the right time to have a broader conversation just about the fact that, you are supporting businesses, whether you are consciously supporting them or not, uh, like you're choosing to support businesses, whether you're you're making those decisions actively. does that make sense? Absolutely um,
1: yeah. yeah, it absolutely makes sense. and I also think it's worth you know it's worth saying I, I I suppose at the front of this conversation a couple of things. one, nobody's perfect at this, and it's really hard to to execute on any level, but it's really hard to 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 do it perfectly and say, like I'm I'm not contributing to any businesses that um that do wrong. That I don't I think I mentioned this on another episode, but something that Aminatu so always says on Call Your Girlfriend is like there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. Right. And that is very true. And um yeah, capitalism is inherently problematic in this way and you're never going to be able to spend all of your dollars in a way that feels totally virtuous or ethical. And in addition to all of that it often means spending more money on things and we're having this conversation at a time where most people in the United States have been negatively impacted financially by the coronavirus. And we are conscious of that. I mean, I don't know anyone who hasn't been negatively impacted. I, there are some people who are benefit, who are profiting from well, it. Well, yeah, Jeff Bezos. Yeah, I don't know. They're not in my circle. Mark Zuckerberg. Mark yeah, Zuckerberg. Exactly. That's right. These people are not in my circle. Everybody in my circle has um, had to be a lot more conscious of how they're spending and you know, tighten budgets and just don't have the same amount of money to spend that they had before.
0: It sounds like you don't hang out with a lot of billionaires. It's such a bummer. Yeah. And and I say that again from a
1: really <laughs> privileged position of, you know, that I do still have some disposable income and a lot of people didn't have any to begin with and really don't have it now.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: So we, we are obviously conscious of that in this conversation, but we think it's still a worthwhile conversation to have in light of everything. And I think there are sort of two reasons that we've been thinking about this a lot lately, right? So the first was When the entire country went into lockdown mode and um, all of these businesses, these brick and mortar businesses could no longer um, function in the way that they're used to, it became suddenly really clear to everybody what it means to have local businesses in your neighborhood, right? And and I say that brick and mortar, but also online.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna um, say because yeah. so many online businesses yeah. weren't able to ship because it, you know, they just made decisions to protect warehouse workers or they were doing fulfillment themselves and didn't have access to their studios or offices to do the shipping. So it's really affected so many businesses um, of all stripes.
1: And you know, restaurants are a really obvious thing, but um you know, there are so many local businesses that we rely on, whether it's grocery stores or tailors or dry cleaners um, that, and you know, for me, I know one of the things that I'm not going to be able to enjoy when we can go out, go to businesses again, is like a play space that Cam really loved and yeah. music class that Cam really loved. Um, and Did those shut down, shut down. Yeah. Yeah. I've been keeping a list of businesses on my phone that have been shut down as a result of all of this, just to or a list of ones that mean something to me yeah um, like including that's a good like idea The Bachelor Farmer in Minnesota and you know the one, and like Kim's play space and things like that, just because i there was something about where i didn't want to I wanted to be able to sort of wrap my head around it and be conscious of it because like we are talking about today, where you spend your money matters and this is always the case, right? But I think for a lot of consumers, it became a much more clear and obvious issue when you were thinking about whether or not these businesses
0: were going to be around for you when quarantine was up. Oh my gosh. I feel so much personal responsibility for the businesses I care about, which obviously like that's a good feeling to have. That's a feeling we should all have. But on the other hand, our government has not provided small businesses with the support they need to weather this crisis. And so it's just like, it's just like so upsetting tracking the bailout, seeing who is and who isn't getting money. Like it all just makes smoke come out of my ears to listen to all of this and to know that so many of the businesses that we all care about and that our communities depend on and that, you know, jobs depend on aren't being protected because of the way our government thinks about business um, and the businesses chooses to support.
1: Absolutely the other reason that this has become really top of mind is because of the national conversation happening around racism and police brutality and the way that Black people are treated in this country. And Aurora James started something called the 15% Pledge, which you really picked up on and amplified in a really wonderful way, which was about basically asking big corporations to commit to 15% Fifteen percent of their suppliers, their vendors, being from black-owned businesses, and that's sort of the lead ask. And then there's also an ask that consumers, that everyday consumers, you and me, think about also making fifteen percent of our spend come from black-owned businesses. And it is such a smart way to think about this
0: because at the end of the day, money runs the world. Like, oh, absolutely. And I mean, talk about capitalism. Like, exactly. If we don't. If we don't spend our money with businesses that we care about and people that we want to support, we have learned very quickly that we can't yeah. count on anybody else to be doing that for us.
1: Exactly. And financial liberation is a huge part of this conversation. And, and you know, this idea of supporting Black-owned businesses barely scratches the surface of the bigger conversation around the way that Black people have been robbed over oh, centuries in yeah. this
0: country. And And the reparations, essentially, that they're owed, but but this is just what you and I can do exactly. on a daily basis um, beyond making donations and beyond offering support in other ways. Yes, um, this is the thing that we can do that we can build into our lives. Yeah, and it's and it's not a hard thing to do, and it's no. not something
1: that's going to require you to spend more money on things. Um, it's not, you know, it is as you have shown in your Instagram stories, as so many people have been. Compiling resources uh, and and have demonstrated through that there are so many wonderful black owned businesses from restaurants to clothing stores you know to everything every category right and like duh right and why not be deliberate about it given what we know about the way black people are treated in this country given what we know about systemic racism this is something you can do right that feels like a no brainer
0: well I think part of that too that's interesting is that. Most people are not conditioned to think about who's behind the businesses yeah. they support in general. even in this world that really like loves a founder, loves a fancy CEO, like you know loves an influencer, it's still it's not habitual to think about like, okay, who's actually running this business yeah, and you and I ran a business for a decade where yeah. showing who ran the business, telling the story of the person mm-hmm. who ran the you know small uh, design businesses we were supporting that was baked in that was yeah. the core, you know that yeah. was core yeah. um and i do think it just changes the way that you think about shopping and buying and yeah. consuming things if you inherently associate a face with a thing yeah. rather than like a brand name or a brand or you know an e-com shopping experience well, you said to me, so so you compiled an Instagram
1: story and are continuing to compile an Instagram story of black-owned businesses in response to Aurora's prompt. And you said to me, it was super easy when you got started because you could call to mind all of these businesses that we had featured on of a kind that were black-owned, and you were e- it was easy for you to recall it because we had put the photographs of all the designers on the site, and you had been you know putting that content up there. And you're right, that's not something that is typically the case um for people where they're like able to to know what the what the people look like behind the businesses. And I think it's interesting because even as someone who was conscious of these things running of a kind, right? Like yeah. I I was I actively desired to make sure that the that the designers we were representing were diverse and that we were so a representative of, color. of the American yeah. population. Exactly. Yeah. And by the way, definitely could have done a better job oh. and should have done a better job. But even given that, there was something about Aurora's idea that I've been sitting with for a couple of days that has made me realize that, like, even in the ways I was thinking, about it of a kind it like wasn't quite enough. Like it needs to not be just about like making sure that we're representing and supporting these, but like being really active and deliberate about it and like stretching, I think a little more to do it in a way that I wrongly was like not quite thinking as clearly about I think when when we were running of a kind
0: it's not just about like offering options
1: yeah and it's not just about like oh we're like supporting everybody like it it feels like it should be a mandate in a way and that it's like it's more of a must rather than a like what is the right way to I, I I'm having trouble articulating but there was something about the way she she presented this that, and, you know, also in the context of obviously the larger conversation that we're all having right now, where I was just like, this has to happen. And it's not, it's no longer like, let's make sure we're trying to do this type of thing. It's let's,
0: Let's do this.
1: Yeah, we're doing this.
0: Yeah, we're doing this. Um, So we'll link to a bunch of resources in our episode notes. um, But Lingua Franca has been compiling a spreadsheet. Helen Rosner has saved a highlight to her Instagram story. She's a food writer at The New Yorker, listing all kinds of spreadsheets compiled by other people of local restaurants that are Black-owned. Julie Wilson put together a list of 125 Black-owned beauty brands. Um, There's Black-owned Brooklyn. There's Shop Black. There's a, a lot out there.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um,
0: and something I think that's really useful to just search. Um, I was doing this for my parents uh, who live in a place that has a truly, truly, truly depressing number of Black owned businesses, is to just search Black owned businesses and Peoria, Illinois. No, I- and think about, you know lawyers, accountants, contractors, car dealerships, auto mechanics, like those kinds of businesses, too, that aren't places that you're just like bopping into to pick up a gift or whatever. Like
1: the other thing that I hadn't thought of at all until um someone named Amira Rasool posted it on her Instagram is open up a bank account at a black owned bank, which I don't know about you, but I don't feel like my current bank's doing all that much for me. That feels like something that just wouldn't have occurred to me. And I appreciate that being put out there. So we will link to that list as well.
0: Something we wanted to talk about in the context of both of these uh, thoughts we've been having mm-hmm. or both of these things that have made us re-examine more and more how we're spending our money and how we're mm-hmm. thinking about the businesses we support is just the value of small businesses in our economy and in economic recovery and how that really feels like it's just been overlooked and overshadowed. And I was reading yesterday an HBS uh, 2014 working paper called The State of Small Business Lending, which, you know, we'll talk about small business <laughs> lending in another breath. Yeah. But it was talking about how small businesses and new firms punch above their weight in terms of job creation. They create two of every three. Net new jobs in the past 15 years. So, we're talking the first 15 years of this millennium. Mm-hmm. They employ half of the private sector payroll and they produce about half of private sector GDP. And, you know, I think the important things that I come back to and that have just been driving me so bonkers in reading about. Uh, bailouts and support over the last couple of months is these are the businesses that are not just about maximizing shareholder value and doing stock buybacks and paying dividends and that shit that just, I can't believe that's what our taxpayer money is going towards supporting.
1: I'm sure every, I'm guessing everybody listening to this podcast is aware of this, but even it is helpful for me to sometimes remind myself that publicly held companies Have a legal responsibility to make the most money possible for their shareholders. Like that's their number one priority. And I think something that's been interesting for us is selling our small business to a big corporation and seeing the various ways in which that plays out. And the various ways in which that plays out when it comes to thinking about some of the things that matter to us and whether, you know, being able to publicly speak out about causes that you care about or carry certain things or not carry certain products. It looks, you know, how you think it's going to look. Um, and, <laughs> and, and, and yeah, no so, spoilers in that no spoilers. way, yeah, no spoilers. And, 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 and in that way, I think it's really obvious how important and how critical small businesses are, but you know, it, it's also really useful to hear these statistics that you just, you know, rolled out that it's not just about like having family-owned, interesting products, right? Although that is like really, that's a huge part of it. But there's actual real economic impact. And one of the things I'm always like interested in, especially when presidential elections roll around is that it feels like this idea of like small businesses and what the small business owner is gonna do really seems to be a major issue on both sides, right? Yeah, of course. And and, like, it's such a talking point for Republicans and it's such a talking point for Democrats. And even though nobody seems to like agree on the, the larger structural points of it, everybody at those rallies is all like, yes, we have to protect the small businesses. But currently there's very little happening in our country that's actually doing that.
0: Well, and I mean, just thinking about the ways that the really big players, the super big multinationals affect our whole world, the lobbying money spent on regulations and deregulations that are l- very likely not in our interest and very likely things that we would not vote for if given the option. The way that the global supply chain is affected, yeah. where it's shifted to minimize the amount of inventory that companies have to hold, which you know we have seen play out in this pandemic in terms of shortages of PPE. And yeah, it's just if what we can do, because we can't count on our government to do much, if what we can do is vote with our dollars, like I don't know, I feel like you and I at least damn well better do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to bring us into another topic, which is like business funding and how businesses get funded because I think it's so relevant to this idea of small business and small businesses surviving. And a lot of times when people ask us about of a kind and they're interested in the fact that we sold it eventually. They're like, "Was that something you had planned from the beginning?" And you and I always just kind of laugh because the truth is that we just were not thinking about the idea of an "quote unquote" exit when we were starting no. out of a kind. It was this is a business. It will make money. We will put the money back in our business and eventually back in our pockets. And like that's so just silly how of us, pro, right? <laughs> yeah. And you and I uh, went to the Small Business Administration in New York. To, went to try to get support there it was lacking to say the least um
0: we went the once
1: we went the once yeah it was because yeah we were just like no we're starting a business it will make money and it will grow and that'll be nice and we don't have to think about you know what the next step is in terms of funding or an exit because we'll find some funding to get it started and then it'll sustain itself and it wasn't until we started fundraising that this term of an exit started coming up so much and that we had to start thinking about what that meant. But it's a really roundabout way of saying, we thought we would get a small business loan. We thought we would get a bank loan ultimately. And come to find out, especially in 2010, that that was more or less a fairy tale. That's just like not something that exists anymore. And truly, the only funding mechanisms that were available to us were venture capital and angel investors. And most of those
0: angel investors were really only investing alongside venture capitalists. Yeah. So we really... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say to come back to the idea mm-hmm. of small of, of small business yeah. lending. Yeah. You know, the fact that you and I thought that that was going to be an approach for us. Apparently, small business lending peaked in 2007, and then we had the rec- the Great Recession, and as of 2014, according to this HBS paper, State of small business lending again, small business loans were down 21 percent in 20 uh, since 2007. And you know there are a lot of different reasons. The banking industry is can increasingly less focused on small business lending. The economy was battered. And small businesses want smaller loans, which are not as profitable for banks. And small banks are more likely to lend to small firms. But the number of community banks in the, is in a long-term decline, which was kicked off by the recession. So again, like, and I think we've seen this a lot with people applying for SBA loans in this cycle apparently the companies that applied through community banks and smaller banks had a much higher success rate yep. than the ones applying through you know the typical Chase. like big players yeah.
1: yeah 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 so what you have then is that for a lot of people starting businesses right now you know and it, it very much depends on the type of business and i'm i'm speaking from a little bit here. of a bubble. Yeah. yeah i'm doing a lot of generalizing based on the bubble we live in but a lot of people end up seeking venture funding for their businesses and Venture capital requires very large multipliers. They're expecting a huge amount of growth. And especially up until recently, what that growth meant was growth in performance, not profit. So, whether that's acquiring users or acquiring customers, it's not so much about what the bottom line looks like, yeah. so much as how big the business
0: is from a sort of
1: numbers perspective.
0: Yeah. And hopefully we'll see a shift. I mean, I think there has I think been we're some pushback too. because of yeah. work and companies like that that have yeah. demonstrated that, hey, maybe we should start thinking about this differently. Exactly.
1: And so one of the many less than desirable consequences of that, um, that structure is that businesses who take venture funding end up basically needing to pour a ton of money into advertising. Into, and most of that is digital advertising. And, and a lot of that is Facebook advertising. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So one, we're funding Facebook, right? Which we don't feel great about right now. But two, you're driving up the prices of that advertising significantly so that those small businesses who didn't take venture funding absolutely cannot afford to compete. For adver- for the advertising dollars, and every business at some point has to advertise. At some point in growth, you know, you can get word of mouth, you can get um, organic. Your, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, yeah, you yeah, might yeah. have a viral moment, but at some point, you're going to have to start spending money on advertising. And unless you are buying billboards, you know, if you're at that scale, or unless you are, I don't know, a real estate agent buying a bus stop bench. Most people are looking to places like Facebook and display ads um, for that advertising because also like on a unit level, it is more affordable. Like you can do it with a smaller budget. But within that budget, it's not going to go very far if everybody else in your category has venture funding and is pouring millions into it. And so that is like how you start to see this trickle-down effect. Then the small business is shut down. And by the way, that was one of the big reasons that of a kind did have to say, okay, what's our next step? Are we selling this company? Which wasn't a bad thing for us. I'm not upset about that outcome. We had a, I'm so thrilled that we sold the company. It was a great experience in so many ways. But the fact of the matter is, we couldn't continue to grow it on our own with the amount of funding that we had raised and with the amount of revenue that we had generated through the business because you just
0: can't really survive as a small business on the internet because you're always yeah.
1: competing with the bigger businesses.
0: Another point around venture funding which i'm sure we've brought up on this podcast before is just who gets venture funding and what businesses are backed and without digging into the specifics around categories and types of businesses there's a tech crunch headline from the end of last year that is uh, really sets the tone us vc investment in female founders hits all time high that's like a kind of like positive <laughs> like, like yes, oh interesting great, great. Yeah. and by all time high they mean that 2.8% of venture funding in 2019 went to female founding teams. 2.8. Huge, huge people. Let's pat ourselves on the back. And then when you look at Black women and women of color, the numbers are predictably abysmal. According to a Forbes article, Black women represent 42% of new women-owned businesses. And that is... Three times their share of the female population at fourteen percent, but only four percent of the female founders who raised equity funding were black, yep, so four percent of the two point eight so and we're I, we're really we're multiplying quite small numbers here,
1: incredibly small <laughs> and I, there has to be that same mindset shift in the in the funding community that we were just talking about, yeah. in consumption, and that this is no longer a, like. And it never should have been, uh, like, pat yourself on the back for trying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's got to be, this is a must. This is a mandate because you look at what's happening and it's all related. It is all related. Our failure to economically support Black people in this country is related to everything else that's happening in this country when it comes to the way we treat Black people. And um, yeah, we just have to be incredibly deliberate and accountable.
0: About. Um, the other thing that is that is worth adding around funding in general is that uh, venture funding is very, very focused on a, a like very specific category of university or business school. And I bet you can guess what graduates of what programs get the most funding. It's your Stanford's, it's your MIT's, it's your Harvard's, it's your UC Berkeley's. And that is not how you're going to get new ideas. Another type of funding that we are not as familiar with personally in terms of our experience, but that has been getting a lot of critique recently and deserved critique is private equity. And I think one of the best Onion headlines I've seen, I don't know, maybe in my life was this one. Protesters criticize for looting businesses without forming private equity firm first. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> um, and The Onion wrote a full article for this one too. And it is worth reading. Um, it is, it really, really rings true. Truly wonderful. <sighs> uh, okay, 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 okay. So what can we do? What can we do?
1: Well, so, I mean, one of the things that that we sort of haven't touched on in talking about all of this is like, how do you shift your own behavior, right? Yeah. Um. And I think one sort of early, long ago practice that you and I had in this was shifting our fashion consumption habits. Because you and I both used to shop at H&M and Zara. Totally. Um, And when we started of a kind, there started to be this cognitive dissonance of like, wait, we are starting this business to support emerging designers. So not only should we obviously be representing them in the purchases we make and what we wear, but also there's something antithetical about wearing fast fashion, which is ultimately destructive to the idea of the small independent designer, but then also supporting independent designers. So we stopped doing it. We stopped. We felt it. like
0: we'd be talking out of both sides of our mouth.
1: Yeah. And that was hard because, spoiler, we weren't making really any money. We didn't make any money in the beginning of Bubba A Kind. We didn't pay ourselves for a long time. So it's not like we had a lot of money to be spending on these things. And in that way, it would have been much easier to just say like, oh, we have an investor pitch coming up. Let's just dip into Zara and get something nice to wear. But we just stopped doing it. And it meant we were buying less clothes, less often. But I think that it became very obvious how much better we felt about a, you know, who we were supporting, but b, also the things we were buying because they were nicer. And it just all of a sudden became like, I don't want anything from Zara, H and M. It doesn't feel good,
0: both psychologically or physically. I think for both of us, in different ways, it's really helpful to create the rule and just say like oh i don't shop there yep. and into myself like not in a like yes. a like you know like no. oh i don't shop there way it feels connected to what people say about changing your diet right like it, it for a lot of people it's
1: never going to be enough to say like oh i'm trying to cut back on chocolate if a lot of people just have to say i don't eat chocolate or yeah. i don't eat meat right yeah. and if yeah, you yeah, create yeah. the rule for yourself um I, it's like a, a commonly cited Tactic for shifting it's like your vegan diet. before
0: six. Yes, something. exactly. <laughs> like I
1: just don't do that. Um, yeah. and yeah, I think
0: it is very helpful when thinking about your consumption habits to think about it that way. That's the shift that I've made over the last year with Amazon. Mm-hmm. Where in the beginning, I was definitely just doing a like a lot of like I like I try not to buy things on Amazon and make yeah. exceptions for myself. And I think now I've gotten to the point where I'm like, okay. That like that was achievable. The next phase of this is like, I just don't do it. I yeah. just don't do it. I'll like pay extra to pay for shipping from somewhere else or whatever. Yeah. There are enough workarounds for me right. to, you know, figure it out.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes it means like we said, you're buying less of something. You're waiting longer to get it. Sometimes it means you have to leave the house to get it instead of buying it online, which, you know, again has become really obvious like we need these grocery stores around. We need these things that are keeping us alive and sustained when we can't go anywhere else. And yeah, I think it's really just a mindset shift and it's also it does take more time, right? Like yeah, it takes yeah, more yeah. time to search for these things online, it takes more time to um do the research and figure out who's behind the business, but that's okay. We have but time it also... right now.
0: It also feels a little bit like these, like very small wins, um, where yeah. you find is sol- where you find something where you're like, oh, like this is the answer for that thing for me now, like Bookshop.org, mm-hmm. um, which contributes to small local bookshops whenever you make an online purchase. I'm like, oh, this is this is the perfect answer to my question about where to buy books. You know, when I can't physically go to a bookstore right now, yep. or I order online at Books or Magic, which is my yep, local same. bookstore. I mean, that is just like such a nice experience, and I don't have to think about it every time. It has recalibrated my sense of how much books cost. Mm-hmm. Um, where I'm just like, I don't, I don't ever comparison shop on Amazon yep. anymore because that's just not a place I buy books. Right, right, right. That's interesting. But the other thing I was thinking about related to all of this is right now we're in this period of time where we're actually not used to getting things with the same speed that we once were like we aren't, we aren't getting things in 48 hours because of the way that delivery has changed and the way that demand has changed so it becomes an especially good time to basically reset our own expectations yeah. of what We should expect out of a company, and like what you know, what that means for the environment, what that means for the businesses we're supporting, and where we're getting things. Because, like, most things you actually just don't need that quickly, right? At all. No, no.
1: And, um, you know, again, circumstances are different for everybody. And, but if you have the means and the flexibility in your life, and I think a lot of people listening probably do especially in this moment where we're not going out all the time we're not rushing back and forth to work and social events like it's worthwhile to take the time and also it's sometimes just worthwhile to pay for shipping like think <laughs> think about where you could be spending you know saving that money elsewhere and um and do it yeah. i know that i'm really guilty of when i'm doing this and trying to buy stuff not on amazon a lot of times there's higher shipping thresholds at places and so then i fill my cart to
0: get it to yeah, the shipping threshold. to hit it
1: I like get frustrated with myself because I'm like why why is it so important to you because ultimately someone's paying for it you're paying for it in some way you don't need those other things just pay the shipping fee you used to do it all the time yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah and yeah. it just it is what it is it's part of doing business and it's like you know we sort of started this saying when when you think about it in terms of can you pay the shipping fee because you want to make sure that this business exists still then it becomes a lot easier
0: to say like yeah fine i'm going to pay this the shipping fee well also Shipping costs money. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> like, it's just, Someone's it's not actually for it. free for uh, anybody. Like, no, no one's someone like, someone is it, paying for it. And what no, these UPS is not telling the business, like, oh, well, you hit $150 threshold. So we're dropping that one off for free. <laughs> no, what this business is doing
1: is calculating. And I'll tell you, like, we did it at Avakind all the time, finger in the air, you know, like, do we think people will be more likely to buy us? So therefore, we can give them a discount offering them free shipping. It's a discount you're getting. It's like,
0: yeah, you're cutting into your margin to say, okay, it's worth it because we've made this much money on this transaction. So as a result, we're willing to give this small discount in order to achieve this higher transaction.
1: And by the way, I'd like to climb a little higher on my soapbox. Please. Amazon is a huge... Perpetrator of making this a requirement that all businesses do this because the consumer expects it. but so is venture capital in that same way that we talked about venture capital essentially requiring their businesses to just grow and grow and grow, regardless of the expense and regardless of you know whether or not they were actually making money on that customer acquisition, free shipping became a huge part of that, as did free returns. And so when all of these big businesses, from like Warby Parker to whoever said it's free shipping and it's free returns on everything, all the small businesses had to do it too because the average consumer just isn't making that distinction
0: of like, well, I'm willing to pay for it if it's a business that doesn't have venture capital because most people don't even know. Right, right, right. No, it's the way that like, it's the mass uh, version of Blue Apron giving you a week free to try. Um, And that was all fueled to, you know get customers to sign up and hope they stick around. But in the meantime, just like boost your uh, acquisition rate.
1: And then our expectations as consumers just shifted so dramatically, and all of a sudden, everybody has to do it, and that means it's putting people out of business.
0: Yeah. Anyway, it's impossible to be perfect. Yep. We we like. I don't we, know. I buy things all the times from places that we, I like. Don't think about or that I just yeah. like am not doing the research into and yeah. and could and should. Um, I still
1: shop on Amazon sometimes. I do it yeah. a lot less than I used to, but. um, Yeah. And I don't feel great about it. But um, I think if you can even just make small incremental changes, that's huge. Because if everybody was making small incremental changes, that would make a giant impact.
0: Yeah. Just the idea of being a compassionate consumer when you can. Yeah. Um, Is that the show? I think that's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found like Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. If you have ideas for the show or want to advertise, email podcasts at clarinerica.com. Find show notes and coupon codes and so much more at clarinerica.com.